I couldn't sleep. <laughs> My brain couldn't understand what the hell was going on. <laughs> Welcome to Mosaic of China, a podcast about people who are making their mark in China. I'm your host, Oscar Fuchs. Some episodes are hard to compartmentalize, and today's is one of them. We talk about teaching and art and fashion, and entrepreneurism and Mongolia and sustainability and family. Honestly, it's a bit all over the place, and I can't really summarize it in this intro. But in these episodes, where we don't focus in on just one key aspect of someone's life, that's what makes the conversation much more natural. It's the kind of conversation that you can imagine having over a coffee when you meet someone new, and yet it's also deeper than that. So I hope that you enjoy the ground that we cover today. Thank you so much for coming. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. The first challenge I have is in saying your name <laughs> because <laughs> there are some people who have names that I can't get my tongue around, and you are definitely one of those people. So. Let's start by having you say your full name. Sure, I heard that a lot since it is a complicated to pronounce. So my full name is Tochtgedel. Say it again, but slowly. Like this is your first name only, it's right? It's just my first name only. Tochtgedel. Tochtgedel. Yeah. Since it's very really hard to pronounce, I have a short name. You can use Toggy, <laughs> or my English name Ruby. Thank you. I didn't know that because since I've known you, I've been calling you Toggy. <laughs> yeah, Toggy is definitely fine. It's a very cute name, actually. Oh, it is. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Like Mongolian language is quite harsh language. We have a lot of like. So. Yes. And then, what's your family name? Uh, my family name is Bumichtin. Bumichtin. Yeah. Zoktgedicht Bumichtin. Right. Wow. Correct. <laughs> okay, I've said it once. I probably will never say it again. <laughs> I'm going to call you Soggy, and you said that actually you also have an English name Ruby. But which do you mm. prefer? Do you prefer Soggy or Ruby? Oh, Soggy. Yeah, it's fine. Good. It's naturally. <laughs> well, now that I've said your name, we know a little bit about you already. But the first question I would ask to find out more is: What object did you bring that, in some way, defines your story here in China? <laughs> So it took me quite a long time to think of what object might represent my life in China. It was very last-minute decision. I brought an apple. There it is. There it is. <laughs> a green apple. I'm a teacher here in China. Aha. So I teach visual art and design and technology, the two subjects at the same time. Visual art and then design and technology. Yes. I see. Actually, I'm a designer. Before I became a teacher. I was a fashion designer. I even started my own fashion brand,、mm. and at that time, I was just a little bit lacking experience since I was just graduated my university and I was almost bankrupt. Oh gosh! Yeah, <laughs> and I had to find a different job. Teaching, like I was not into it. But my family has teaching background. I mean, both parents are professors, and my grandparents are professors at the universities. Like they're all teachers. Wow! So I just thought, like, I'll just try out. I'll go get interviewed, and I get interviewed by the director, and then they just offer me, like, you know, why don't you get observed? You can have like a trial lesson. Just choose a topic that you would like to teach, and then come tomorrow morning. I didn't have any plan, any experience. I had no idea what to teach, and no idea whom to teach. <laughs> so I just picked grade eleven at the time. Which is what? How old are the children in grade eleven? Um, fifteen, sixteen. Aha!、Uh-huh. And I'm still trying to work out what... why the apple. Yes. 
<laughs> will come out. So here's the thing, like the next morning I went to the school. I didn't prepare anything. I couldn't think of anything. I just grabbed some pencils and the papers. My mom gave me the apple in the morning and I just, <laughs> I need an object to teach uh, students about how to draw. <laughs> As an example, I have to draw using different lines. I drew the apple because I had only apple in my, oh, <laughs> in my bag. And then I asked a student to tell me the description of an apple. And here they start with very basic descriptions of an apple, like green and soft. And then I tried to expand their thinking of an apple. How about like where it has grown or how did it come here? How does it smell and so on? How their imagination can go beyond that apple? And then I just asked them, okay, now let's say how Picasso or Dali would see an apple. Uh-huh. And then they saw an apple from very different perspectives. Mm. It was just an apple. But the way we see things actually defines that thing. And how we see things is more important. <laughs> I didn't plan that speech or that process, actually. It's just what was on my mind at the time. I just created an engagement between me and the students. Yeah. And I actually felt, oh, wow, I'm good at it. <laughs> and it was so wonderful. Ever since that time, teaching is more important and more meaningful. Being a teacher is influencing <laughs> those who will believe in the future. Absolutely. And it's a job which doesn't get very well recognized mm. often. Yeah. But <laughs> it's nice to have this excuse to talk to you, especially mm. because you're teaching art and design. And that for me was actually the hardest topic because oh. I'm a terrible drawer. And the problem I think I had with the way I was taught was that my teacher didn't say, oh, it's all about how you feel. Mm. Actually, when I was learning art, it was like, no, no, draw it correctly. Yeah. Draw that apple. That's how we all like, you know. Right? So do you feel pressure to also teach like that? Or from the beginning, did you already have this idea of draw what you feel, draw what feels right to you? Well, things have different purposes. If you're a designer and if you would like to communicate with your clients, then your drawing should be accurate, right? As it is intended. It cannot be super abstract <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> because it cannot be understood. But if you're an artist, the expression is more important. It can be like anything. So you need to understand the concepts. And out of the two, so the abstract, artistic, emotional side mm. versus the realistic mm. design, communicate what you mean mm. side, which of those two do you prefer? Both. <laughs> <laughs> I like both of them. Um, freedom as an artist is a nice thing. But mm. for me, it's a little bit chaotic sometimes. I mean, I'm a fashion designer, so maybe 60, 40 or like 70, 30. 70 more into design and 30 more into art. This is it, isn't it? Because fashion can be very avant-garde. You can yes. be very creative. Yes. But then you have exactly. to be reasonable. People That's have to why. wear it. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned in your brief introduction that you used to actually have a fashion brand yourself. And then it didn't work out. In the US, the culture is fail quickly, fail often, mm -hmm. keep failing, one day you'll make it. I sense that in China, if you fail, actually, it's a little bit tough on you and your family yeah. and your reputation. <laughs> How was it in Mongolia? Is the culture more like the US or more like China? It's very mixed. We have that freedom and we accept failures, but at the same time, we have this culture of respecting or living together with the families, family-oriented. Right. 
Well, why don't we jump into this topic? Because this is where I'm going to ask you to represent your entire culture. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> in a way that is completely unfair. But before I do so, there is a recording I want to play for you, which is our mutual friend DJBO. Oh, yeah. When he introduced you to this project. I really love the Mongolian community, and I find that there's a lot of confusion about who they are. They have their own culture and stuff. And there's a very great designer uh, named Ruby who does some very interesting work. And I think it's important for that community to be recognized as part of the Mosaic of China. So I would recommend Ruby. Wow. <laughs> Thank you so much. And he calls you Ruby by yeah. your English name. Ruby is funny story. Oh, go on. <laughs> My son used to call me Ruby. Like he used to watch the cartoon, one of the characters named Ruby, a pink raccoon. <laughs> oh, I'm going to have yeah. to ask you to research this. <laughs> okay. I want to see this pink Ruby. Because many people, they don't even choose their English name. They get given their English name by a teacher, right? <laughs> right. So I'm glad that yours has a more personal story. Speaking of people with unusual names, mm. DJBO. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How did you meet DJBO? Oh, DJBO is my partner's friend. Ah. And when we were together here, before the pandemic happened, we met DJBO in Shanghai. There you go. And of course, he has this insider-outsider perspective because mm -hmm. he was a foreigner in Mongolia. Mm -hmm. That's why it's nice to also hear the Mongolian perspective of your own country because you've been there most of your life, right? How long have you actually been in China now? It's my third year. Okay, so mm -hmm. relatively short. Yes. So we know where Mongolia is. It's between Russia and China. Correct. The funny thing is China has Mongolian part and Russia has Mongolian part. <laughs> and we are not Chinese or Russian. So that's the thing. Yeah. And at the same time, we have around eight different ethnic groups in Mongolia. Right. And we're still living the lifestyle which is inherited from Genghis Khan. Still like herding animal, living in nomadic style for like four seasons. And each season they move around. That is also considered a very sustainable lifestyle that we're not ruining the ecosystem. Mongolians are very straightforward good hospitality. Right. And I'm quite proud of being Mongolia. I mean, we've been through a lot since we're like just few population and in between Russia and China. And our whole economy is based on these two borders. Yes. <laughs> the borders are completely closed for almost two years. Yeah. Maybe just once or twice it opened just yeah. a few days or maybe one day. <laughs> even. Yeah. So it's been very tough for Mongolians. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. So that makes you sort of dependent. Very dependent. Yeah. Which is funny because it's just the industrialization. Mm -hmm. We're now almost going full circle and we're trying to do things that are more sustainable, that mm -hmm. are more true to how humans should exist on the planet. <laughs> the way that Mongolia lives on the land. Mm -hmm. I wonder if that will become more important again in the future. Mm -hmm. Maybe we'll start to need to copy you rather than you <laughs> being dependent on yeah, other exactly. countries. We have a lot of value, still keeping that value for a long time. It's unique, you know, mm -hmm. and I went there 22 years ago for six days. I still remember it. There was such a blanket of stars in the oh, sky. Yeah. There was complete silence. And I remember I couldn't sleep. <laughs> I couldn't sleep because there was so quiet. My brain couldn't understand what the hell was going on. <laughs> yeah, it is. I miss that. It's hard to find that in China, right? That's true. And the look of the people. So you were saying that it's not just one race in Mongolia, mm -hmm. right? How would you describe it? 
I speak the general Mongolian as a Halkh Mongolian. The Halkh is the ethnical group. <laughs> H-A-L. Uh, no, K-H-A-L-K-H-A, Halkha. Halkha. Mm. And then we have different ethnical groups, have different religion. They talk differently. I barely can understand if they will talk. Right. <laughs> they look a little bit different from each other. My mother's side is from the west side, and they look Turkish or more European look. And my father's side is from the Gobi side. They look totally different. And my father's mother's side <laughs> is from the Russian side. They don't look Russian. They completely look Asian, even compared to other ethnic groups, I would say. So like they just look different than each other. And even Mongolian costumes, all that ethnic group has its own different look. There are many different hats, gowns, like it's just Mongolian diverse clothing. Well, since you do have a fashion background, mm. were you inspired by that traditional side or were you trying to be more international, more modern? Um, for my fashion designs, I'm focusing on the usage of the materials mixing up wool and cashmere, even silk, and mixing up different cultural styles. And my artistic intention was mixing up the man-made concept and the natural concept. We're just part of the nature, so we can be as sustainable as possible based on Mongolian styles. I was invited to design a collection for one of the oldest fashion company in Mongolia for their annual fashion show. So my last collection was focusing on that. Nice. Mm -hmm. Well, we've talked about your family and we haven't gone into too much detail, but you've mentioned your son before. Yes. But I know that you're here in China and you're not with your son, right? Yeah, I'm not with my son. My son got diagnosed autistic when he was in grade three. When you say something, they wouldn't respond as if they like, you know, no, I don't want to do it. <laughs> he actually speaks a lot. He's a very open person. His navigating skill is quite high, mm. higher than the normal people, I would say. When he was like just three or four years old, he could draw an exact, accurate map which features even the signs and the crossroads, rivers, from home to shop or like a school. Yes. So that was quite... Impressing. Absolutely. Wow. But the problem is he doesn't actually communicate. I see. So that's the problem. Yeah. It's just right. So difficult. you didn't feel comfortable to bring him to China? Yes, I didn't know in the environment and then the circumstances, like everything would be like. I actually decided to bring him after a year. At the same time, <laughs> the pandemic happened. Oh, so that was when you were actually going to bring him down? Yes. So we were just so unlucky for that. Where is he now then? He's in Mongolia with my family. So you've now been separated from your son for so many months. How, how long altogether? Almost two years. Yeah. And I'm yes. looking at the apple in front of me. <laughs> Do you think that this is now actually your calling? Because you really fell into this profession. But are you increasingly finding that actually, just like your parents, just like your grandparents, this is kind of who you are? I would say yes, definitely. My philosophy of living is life shouldn't be depressing. You shouldn't be stressed out when you're doing anything. 
It just makes my life more meaningful. It just makes everything have sense. Well, good luck. Thank you, Oscar. Thank you for everything you've shared about Mongolian culture. I'm sure there was plenty we didn't cover. But let's move on to part two. Let's do it. Okay, part two, the 10 questions. You know what we didn't cover? I should say thank you to you for coming all the way to Shanghai because originally I was supposed to come to you and you don't live in Shanghai. You live where exactly? So I live in Kunshan, which is right in between Shanghai and Suzhou. So it took you how long to get here by train? Like an hour and 30 minutes. Right. I'm annoyed because I wanted to come to you. I have never been to Kunshan. We'll have to do that next time. Yeah, let's do it next time. It's a shame that we, I, I couldn't like invite you anymore. The area that I'm living in right now is getting more stricter and stricter, like the guards checking our green codes and the pass codes, yes. and just a little bit inconvenient for us to bring you to my place. Exactly. Maybe next time. <laughs> yes, this is what happens during yes. COVID here. I hopefully will come and visit you in your place at some point. But for now, thank you for coming. Okay, question one, which comes from Shanghai Daily. What is your favorite China-related fact? One of the contemporary artists, you might know him, Ai Weiwei. Ah, yes. <laughs> yeah. One of his impressive work, Sunflower Seed, 100 millions of seeds, life-sized porcelain sunflower seed. And do you know how are those made? No. It's made by the handcrafters for over two and a half years. Oh, wow. Yeah. I've never seen it. Okay. It's I'll... like a magnificent work, I would say, of him. That's really interesting. I will look it up. And of course, Ai Weiwei is most famous in China for doing the Beijing Olympics buildings, yeah, right? Yeah. Question two, which mm. comes from Rosetta Stone. Do you have a favorite word or phrase in Chinese? Uh, well, it's hi yo. It's like oops, or like it's oh my god, or like oh, you mean ayo? I don't know hi yo or ayo. Oh, so you you hear it as hi yo? Uh, yeah, I hear it hi yo. I I know it as ayo. Ayo, hi yo. It's just very Chinese, right? I hear it a lot. It's not a word. What should I say? Is it a word or what is it? It's a word. It's a sound. It's a feeling. It's actually, exactly. it's not the first time that that's been said on the podcast. Oh, really? There was a historical researcher called Yael Fajun from Israel in oh, season I one. Oh, that. She said it for the same reason, just the sound. Mm. And it's the roller coaster. It goes from up to down. That, you can yeah. say, ayo, ayo. Chinese language is something like the fluency between like a sound ups and downs. So it's very Chinese. Yeah. Ayo. <laughs> it's, it's like you want to know about tones, just mm. one word can teach you. <laughs> mm. What about Mongolian? Are there tones in Mongolian? No. Next question, which comes from Naked Retreats. Mm. What's your favorite destination within China? For like a scenic views, I would say like Zhang Jiajie. Ah, Zhang Jiajie. Yes. I haven't been. Incredible. Yeah, you should. Like the beautiful glass bridge and all of the natures and like a scenic view is amazing. You, yeah. should, you should go there. <laughs> all right. It's on my list. Although mm -hmm. those glass bridges, I get very scared about using a glass bridge. <laughs> it's not bridge. scary. It's nothing scary about a glass bridge. Oh. It's so thick. It's just beautiful. I don't <laughs> believe you. <laughs> Next question. If you left China, what would you miss the most and what would you miss the least? I would miss the early routine of China. There, like a daily routine starts very early. You can just start 
your work at six if you want. Wow. And you can get the breakfast from the street at six.、Mm. I like Chinese street breakfast. Like jianbing, like youtiao,、yeah. soups, like everything I can get from the street is very delicious. I would definitely miss that. Well said.、Mm. And then, what would you miss the least? Least, I would miss access to the global information on time. It's just just annoying. Yeah.、Mm. Next question: Is there anything that still surprises you about life in China? The purchase level of every single person in China, especially during that eleven eleven, it's just full of packages, full of packages every day. It feels like exceeding their need. <laughs> yes, yeah, this is exactly opposite to the kind of Mongolian nomadic culture where you just <laughs> use that land for a small time, then you move on. Everything is in perfect harmony. It's like the opposite of how we should live, and yet it's so convenient at the same time. Oh yeah, it is. Yeah, I admit that it's very convenient. Yeah. Next question, which it's from Smart Shanghai, but of course for you this might be more relevant talking about Kunshan. But where is your favorite place to go to eat or drink or hang out? The small and、like, nice places like Kalitas or like, Emily's there in Kunshan. If you will go there,、nice. and here in Shanghai, I went to that Mexican. What was the name? Pis <laughs> Pistolera. Oh yeah, 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 Pistolera. <laughs> This is it, actually. I can imagine when you live in Kunshan, you get some kind of variety of food. Then you come to Shanghai, and you can get food from all around the world, right? Yeah, exactly. What about Mongolian food? Do you recommend any kind of Mongolian restaurant? Ah,、uh, I I cannot recommend you any. <laughs> yeah. What is the best or worst purchase you've made in China? The books I purchased our Taobao,、ah. maybe. Was good. <laughs> Do you have a worst purchase? Yeah, I had. I had a lot actually, <laughs> especially when I came here first. I didn't know how to use Taobao, and then didn't know the range of the prices actually influenced the quality and so on. So the worst purchase was I ordered the cover for the bedding, which looked very decent, and the color was beige, but it ended up. <laughs> Lemon yellow, and <laughs> not even bed cover. Totally hundred percent polyester,、oh. which is for a sofa. <laughs> <laughs> It's just like not a thing that I ordered. I guess you don't have it anymore. Yeah, I don't have it. <laughs> <laughs> Did you even use it once? No. <laughs> and next question: What is your favorite WeChat sticker? The little raccoon. The farting little raccoon. Oh my god! <laughs> is that what he's doing? <laughs> that is adorable and disgusting at the yeah, same time. Yeah, I know. I use the sticker a lot with my son. <laughs> Do you know what he's saying? I can guess. It's just like ignoring. Yes, it's saying Landerlini. What is it? Which I think is, I'm too lazy to notice you. Oh, so. It's exactly what I guessed. I need someone to double check that,、mm -hmm. but that's how I interpret what that Chinese means. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> In any case, it's a farting raccoon. <laughs> <laughs> Next question: What is your go-to song to sing at KTV? Ah,、oh, that's embarrassing. <laughs> Kin, somewhere only we know. Oh, somewhere only we know. Yeah. Or maybe the one of the Coldplay songs. Like I used to like and listen to them a lot. <laughs> This makes me ask you about singing in Mongolia because there's that famous Mongolian throat singing, right? Yes. 
Can you there do is. it? No, <laughs> you need to practice a lot yeah. to make that sound. Are there any KTV songs that include that kind of singing? I don't think so. No, right? Yeah. <laughs> and finally, and this comes from JustPod, which is mm-hmm. usually where I would record these interviews at the studio. But today we're in my home. What or who is your biggest source of inspiration in China? The one thing just crossed my mind is just Chinese people. Like I admire them. Like they are like a super committed and consistent to what they are doing, and that creates China. It's impressive. Excellent, Soggy. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Oscar. My pleasure. <laughs> you still need to barbecue some Mongolian lamb for me next time. Yeah, I owe you. <laughs> in the meantime, I would ask you: out of everyone you know in China, who would you recommend that I interview in the next season of Mosaic of China? One of my friend's husband, Stefan Ulrich. Okay. Works in the UX team of Bosch in Shanghai. The UX team, so that's user experience. Yes. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, this is where, when you talk about design, the user experience is the most practical side of design, it is, right? Isn't it? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Excellent. I appreciate that. And if there was one question that you would ask Stefan, what question would you ask him?、Mm, how would you describe Mongolians as a German、oh. who has a Mongolian wife. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. So again, the Mongolian connection will continue. Thank you so much, Zogi. It was really nice talking with you. Zogi mentioned Eleven Eleven, which is the big day of online shopping every year on November the eleventh in China. Well, we've just had it. So right now, many of us here will be wading through piles of packages to get through the entrances to our buildings. As with every year, I personally ordered precisely nothing, which is more out of sheer laziness rather than on any grounds of sustainability or as a protest against overconsumerism. But in any case, from now on, every November the 11th, I'm going to proclaim that I'm going Mongolian, which is a totally inaccurate and reductive thing to say. But when has that ever stopped me before? If you're wondering why we didn't take more time to discuss other aspects of Mongolian culture, there are two reasons for that. The first one is that this podcast is called Mosaic of China, so it wouldn't exactly be on brand to spend too long talking about the separate country of Mongolia. And the second reason is that actually we did discuss more about Mongolia, specifically the differences between the country of Mongolia and the Chinese province of Neimengu. Or Inner Mongolia, in the premium version of the show. So, if you want to hear more, please check out the Mosaic of China website for how you can subscribe. Here are a few clips from that version of today's show. Many people told me that how come you don't understand Chinese? We used to have only the vertical Mongolian script until we changed into the Cyrillics. At that time, there would be a direct flight, right, between Shanghai and sure. Ulaanbaatar. Sure, was so easy. Two hours and something. Yeah, less than three hours. They've been taught at their high schools that Mongolia is part of China. Oh, okay. And even though we use Russian Cyrillics, Russians wouldn't understand our Cyrillics. Exactly. <laughs> Check out social media for all the extra images from today's show. There's Soggy's favorite WeChat sticker. There are some photos from her days as a fashion designer in Mongolia, and a bunch of others too. 
and in researching the pink raccoon called Ruby, from where her son gave her the English name, Soggy discovered that it's from the Korean animated series called Pororot the Little Penguin. And that actually it's not a raccoon called Ruby, it's a beaver called Loopy, which in my eyes makes her story all the more adorable. The big update since we recorded our episode is that Soggy is no longer living in Kunshan, she is now in Chongqing, and also her family finally got their visa, so her son should be coming to live with her in China very soon. Speaking of Soggy's son, to hear more on the topic of autism, specifically autism in the workplace in China, be sure to check out the episode with the diversity advocate Sebastian Denez from Season 1, Episode 11. As for other connections with Soggy, there's the artist Nini Sum from Season 1, Episode 16, the fashion designer Okto Chung from Season 1, Episode 30, and the teacher-slash-student coach Seth Harvey from Season 2, Episode 19. Mosaic of China is me, Oscar Fuchs, with artwork by Denny Newell. Stick around for a couple of catch-ups from previous seasons. Firstly, the person who referred Soggy, which was DJBO from Season 2, Episode 23. And secondly, the person who referred DJBO, which was Abe Deo from Season 1, Episode 27. And we'll be back with another episode next week. Oscar. <laughs> Hi, DJBO. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Lots of changes. Lots of different oh, stuff has happened. Yeah. I've got a bunch of tattoos now that weren't there before. What? I've even retired the name DJBO. What the f***? <laughs> Watch your language, Oscar. <laughs> First of all, let me say this. I love the idea of having different names for different things. You get a chance to approach yourself via the eyes of other people. And so my name still looks the same. I just go by DJ Bo now. DJ Bo. And this was part of some kind of renaissance for you. You mentioned there was new tattoos. What's going on? Do you remember the recording date that we did for the first time? I can check. I don't believe you had tattoos at that time. I got my first tattoo in January 2021. I had a DJ gig in Harbin. And then all the gigs got cancelled in Harbin. But I don't like to not follow through. I was able to meet up with a guy named Sion. We met at a Russian restaurant, which is what you do in Harbin. He's like, hey, uh, so you're here and there's really nothing happening with me and stuff. Do you want me to give you a tattoo? It was a unique opportunity and I always lean towards saying yes anyway for everything. What I realized was this almost makes me more responsible for my body. You have something valuable here. Don't f*** it up too much. Don't mess up the canvas. Yeah, exactly. Well, what does the future hold for you right now? I have no idea. Who knows? The future ain't what it used to be, Oscar. <laughs> yeah, well said. I, I don't know. I'm still doing a master's degree, but it's kind of on hold. Oh. I don't know where things are heading. I don't know what opportunities are here. Yeah. I don't know if I want to let things cool down here in Shanghai. So leave and come back. You know, it's not going to be what it was before, but wherever it's going to be, give it a chance to at least get its footing a bit here. Yeah. Or try to finish what I want to do as quickly as possible. Yeah. So I'm not quite sure. I'm really at an uncertain point. Yeah. I'm going to obviously be releasing your catch-up at the back of my interview with Soggy, who you recommended. Oh, yeah. For season three. Yeah. So have you been in touch with her? 
honestly, I haven't, partially because she's not here into Shanghai. Yes. But also, even more than that, she would do some artwork for Mongolian events that I was doing. Well, I haven't been doing anything of that. So we just were able just to play a little catch up with that sort of thing. I think what it is, is everyone has a lot going on in their mind. And for you and someone to connect, you both have to be in that right state at the right place, the right time. And that's what's hard, actually, especially when you don't live in the same city. So I have many, many friends like that who I also haven't connected with. It's a shame. And I hope that once borders do finally dissolve again, we can reconnect with people in the same way we used to. Which also makes me ask you about Abe Deo, the person who introduced you. How about Abe from season one? Um, Same story? I haven't spoken to Abe in a while, but Abe is a fellow traveler, a peripatetic. And those people have a special sort of relationship where we understand that we're crisscrossing paths and it could be a week, it could be years, and we can just look at each other in the eye and it's fine. So I don't even have to worry about him in that regard. I know what you mean. The way I've heard it mentioned and I've adopted it for myself is like an elastic band and friendships have a different elasticity and Mm. some people you know if you've stretched it beyond then it will break and there's some people like you and Abe where you can stretch that band indefinitely although I would love to stretch that rubber band and snap it back on his skin and make him say ouch every (laughs) once in a while well thank you so much DJ Bo I have to get used to calling you that you can call me whatever you want (laughs) thanks for having me thank you hello Abe (laughs) hello Oscar it's been a while It has been a while. And let me introduce you to people who may not have heard our original episode. Back then, and that was in season one, you were a China tour manager and promoter for international indie bands. And then the second time we caught up, you were taking some time out on Lama Island in Hong Kong, since back then live shows had basically stopped around the world at that point. So what is your situation today? Live music has come back a little bit. Me, in the meantime, uh, I started an MBA. And then as of June, I rejoined Live Nation. Oh, goodness. Yeah, so back with Live Nation. Now I'm not working with the emerging artists, but um, the touring team. Okay. When we talked last, I think you were saying about how Live Nation at that point had grown to the extent that it was quite unsustainable. Do you see a a pared down version to what it was before? It is a large corporation. Um, They have pared down some of the emerging markets, focusing on ones with more potential or ones that are less risky, which I think was a smart idea. And with your background, are you keeping your hand in China? Someone else is doing it. Things change so fast. And to be fair, like, for the few years that I was out of Live Nation, I wasn't really paying attention to much. <laughs> Hibernation, so. Oh, I totally get it. In fact, I do remember when we had our original interview back in season one, I did sense that there was a bit of weariness in the way that we talked about how you had been to the same places with so many different bands on so many different tours. And I mean, I'm wondering if, if that's part of it, or actually now that you haven't done it for so many years, do you miss that part? I, I miss it a little bit. I think I was traveling a little too much. That wore on me after a while. You know, when you take 100 flights in one year, yes. it's a little too many. With my new role, it should be better centered on like a specific market. Got it. Well, switching over to the second thing you said, which was you're doing your MBA. 
how did you find going back into that kind of classroom situation, I guess? It, it was a big change. It's been a very long time since I had to do any like academic work. Um, <laughs> a lot of lectures are online, but then it centers around workshops, which is nice. We're on the same level. <laughs> You're like scratching your heads wondering, what the hell? How did I do this before? <laughs> oh, yeah, there was a lot of that. How to do like Harvard citations and stuff. Oh, like God, <laughs> citations. Yeah. yeah. Anything which involves a footnote. It's like a nightmare. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you, you never have to do that in the business world. <laughs> no, you can just spout off anything and just say citation me. <laughs> yeah. You introduced DJBO to the yeah. podcast in season two. Are you in touch with DJBO? I know it's tough. I, I, we message each other occasionally. Um, I should say that he's renamed himself now. So you don't say DJBO anymore. You say DJ Bo. Has he? Yeah. Yeah, see, because when we message each other, it'd be kind of hard to like uh, message that out. It's still spelled the same. (laughs) Yeah. So I did not know he's now DJ Bo. You heard it here first. All right. I will be including an update alongside the episode in season three, which was DJ Bo's recommendation, a Mongolian teacher and artist called Soggy. Do you actually know of this person? I don't. I don't know. I'll be looking forward to that. Well, this is how it works now. So it'll be like a weird Russian doll to see exactly how far the connections end up. Each time, I hope there's a good excuse for me to give you a call. Oh, yeah, for sure. See how far it gets all the way back to me, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Season 100. That'd be a little far. Oh, dear. Uh, No. (laughs) I can categorically say that now. No, (laughs) there will not be that many. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Abe. Always good to speak to you. And uh, I hope that the next time we'll be on the beach in Lama together. I think I said that last time, but uh, fingers crossed for the future. Yeah, hopefully we're getting closer to that date. Thanks, man. All the best. All right. Good talking to you.